Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, June 20th, 2022. My guest today is Aviva, who's going to tell part two of her birth story, Unexpected Blessings. Last week, we got to hear part one of Aviva's story, and it was a great one. So if you have not yet heard last week's podcast, be sure to check that out prior to today's. As a reminder, if you would like to share your birth story on this podcast, you can reach out to me through the website or email me at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Thanks a lot. Enjoy today's podcast. See you next week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Aviva, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for doing round two. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I am excited to be back to tell more of my story. Yeah, usually the, the big secret with the podcast is that when I have people on twice in a row, it's one recording session. We just cut it in half and you know split it up. But this is actually two separate recording sessions separated by weeks, by the holiday of Passover. It's just a whole different time of the year that we're talking again. So really, I do appreciate you actually taking more time on a different day to do this. And, and I appreciate the time as well. So hopefully my story is interesting enough to warrant the second call. We left off last time with you getting pregnant for the first time. And last podcast was really about your, your journey to get pregnant, uh, which was, of course, a fascinating story itself. But now we're going to talk about your pregnancies, your first and your second. You know, I usually ask people who had a, a very either difficult time getting pregnant from, let's say, fertility reasons, which obviously was not the case with you, or had a long journey to get pregnant for other reasons like medical reasons, which should be more related to you. At the time when you're first pregnant, right, the first trimester, how much of that emotion is joy slash excitement versus terror? you know, of what you sort of gotten yourself into, so to speak. I'm always curious how people feel about this because it, it's it's obviously both, but how would you sort of, I don't know, give the percentages? It definitely is both. And I think it really fluctuates by the second. I'd say the positive side, the part that felt purely joyful was knowing that my concerns about changes to my body were most likely for a positive reason. As someone who, who's dealt with different medical issues, you become hypersensitive to your own body and become acutely aware of, some, of anything that feels different. And usually that feeling is a trigger to say, something's wrong, call a doctor, or just continue monitoring this to see if this gets worse or changes over time and, and, because that could indicate that there's a problem. And I guess I, it, there was something that was really positive for me about experiencing changes and saying, wait, this may actually just be because of this beautiful gift that I've been given. So that I'd say was four-fifths of the time. <laughs> it was generally a positive experience. I'd say that 20% was the worry that, wait, what if this is actually just like a new symptom of something I've experienced previously and it's just been triggered by being pregnant. There was still a little bit of me that had this this tendency to worry. And I'd say feeling physical changes was a generally positive experience. But there was this kind of looming worry that I had that having 
choosing to try to get pregnant was potentially the most selfish thing I'd ever done. Because as much as I could prepare for the best possible outcome for both me and the baby, and as much as I wanted to have a baby, I didn't know how I would actually fare. And to think about bringing a child into this world where I may be unable to be a good parent or a present parent because of medical complications or really poor outcomes, or even worse, that I would in any way, my genetics or my predisposition to have autoimmune issues may negatively impact a child. Like there was this kind of like guilt and worry that I had that the outcome would not be positive and that I would have made a bad decision in trying to get pregnant. So that was something that worried me from the start. And for better or for worse, it's still something that I, I grapple with now where like I, I have, I, I carry my, my fears with me where I see, you know, a behavior in my child and I'm like, wait, is that indic- indicative of something? And they're, you know, they're healthy, wonderful little people. Um, and I'm very, very fortunate, but I, I carry that, that worry. How do you function with that guilt? Is it just something you just, you know, wear as a backpack and go about life that way, you know, or like during the pregnancy, or is it something that may be diminished with time? I think actually having the right set of, of support helps, or at least helped me. So in part, that's, you know, that that's my partner um, and my husband. Um, in part, that's my parents who continue to just help me count my blessings and, and focus on positives and probabilities. And then there's also the medical team. So it's the MFM and MFMs who continued to tell me that I was doing well and that the baby was thriving. It was, you know, my local GI and, and hepatologist who I, I don't think I had an opportunity to mention that in addition to Stanford and, and Mayo, you know, I, I found local specialists as well that that have been really wonderful supports and and for them to just continue to reaffirm that certain things were okay and normal and you know, same thing on, on the neurologist front. Having the right medical team to to understand that I was going to skew toward the concerned and and worrisome uh, uh, parent expected parent profile and and for them to to not just disregard that or say oh no you know this is someone who overreacts but actually allow me to overreact and, and understand that that was probably appropriate given my history but then also to take their expertise and say okay that is actually normal or it's normal for you to feel this way but you don't have to worry having gone into the process of trying to get pregnant and then being pregnant with that team helped balance me a little bit. Did you get any messaging that was worsening your guilt, meaning maybe a friend or maybe a family member has said, you know, some comment, you know, either inadvertently or purposefully to sort of make you feel like you're, as you said before, being like selfish? Did did you get that from anybody or anywhere at any time? Fortunately, not from people who who indicated that I was being selfish, but it's more just from seeing the challenges that people around me were going through. A good friend of mine was diagnosed with MS while I was pregnant. And that to me was just jarring in that, you know, here was someone else who leads a a very healthy life and is, you know, a a relatively young 30-year-old and suddenly she's struggling with, you know, with this terrible, unfortunate diagnosis, and it could happen to anyone. And in in her experience meeting with various experts, you know, there's a, well, it's not necessarily genetic, there's, there are several autoimmunes in her family, specifically on the maternal line, and how that may increase 
probability of having an autoimmune and MS being one of them. And I just felt that that just kind of gave me a, a surge of additional guilt where it's like, oh, well, here's this healthy person. And now, you know, her mother has, you know, her medical challenges and look, it's like in some way being passed on to her and do I have to worry about? And a lot of those are, are unknowns. I just hope that medicine continues to to stay ahead of any challenges that I face, my friends face, my, my, my children face or may face in the future. That was a trigger for me. And another was actually one that was very unfortunate um, where a good friend of mine lost a child. It was a late, a late term miscarriage in, I think it was 37 weeks. And it was the cause of that was entirely unknown. They're just at a checkup. There just wasn't a heartbeat. And that sent me reeling in its own way because I was, I was not there yet. This is someone who was, was a little further along than I was. And, you know, here's this healthy person with a very normal pregnancy and a really, really tragic outcome. And if that could happen to someone without my medical baggage, what did that mean in terms of the viability of my pregnancy? You know, it, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because while you're speaking, I was struck. Uh, these concepts, they're really new in the history of people, right? This This idea of, you know, uh, should I feel guilt that potentially I won't be well for my children or I'll pass on some illness or I won't be around for them or maybe they won't do so well? It's really probably only ever been thought about sort of on a regular basis for the past, I don't know, 50 to 100 years. And it, it's almost a sense of like, as humans, like it's it's a luxury to sort of have those feelings because you think about 200, 300, 500, 900 years ago, I mean, babies, there were stillbirths all the time and mothers frequently didn't survive childbirth and certainly the life expectancy, you know, if it's, you know, your forties, right. Sort of everyone, that was the norm. The the norm was to have children, despite the fact that life was essentially miserable and people died young and there was so much like horrible things going on. But, you know, people, this is what we do as humans. We, you know, we, we procreate, we create the next generation. And there's, there's a lot of reasons why that might be you know, biologic, psychologic, religious, you know, there's all these things that go into it. But there's that's in us that drive to have children, uh, maybe not in everybody, obviously, but as as a as a as people that's really deep down in our DNA. And uh, it's just fascinating to hear how it manifests sort of nowadays when people do so much better that it comes about, you know, someone, you know, you a hundred years ago, no one ever thought like, Hey, you're perfect. You're fine. You know, it's really just, it's just interesting. It really is. Like there's like this weird and it's, it's not justified, but like, there's this like feeling, at least that I have, I won't put this on anyone else. It's like, I should be able to control anything. And, and the reality is I'm not in control of anything, but because of as a society that we've evolved so much and we're so sophisticated and we have so many resources at our disposal or we can have so many resources um, at our disposal that we, that I think that like, I should be able to, I look around me and I'm like, Oh, all these other people like have certain outcomes. And if I make certain decisions and if I set my my life a certain way, I'm able to ensure certain outcomes. And then to realize you can't, then you feel like, well, now, now I'm at disadvantaged. When to your point, you know, I even think about my grandparents, my, my father 
he had his mother had a child before him who who passed away within hours of being born so she the the, the older yeah the eldest of that family didn't survive and I, I, my grandmother missed her and, and mourned mourned the loss of that baby for her whole life because it was a significant loss but I don't, she never felt guilt. The, the language used to describe it was a loss, but she didn't feel guilty that she had tried to have this baby and brought him to this world. And she didn't feel guilty about trying to have additional children. And she went on to have four healthy sons and, you know, built a beautiful family. And it didn't, it's, it's interesting that like that, to your point, that mentality is something that is relatively new. And I don't think I'm the only one who feels guilty um, not being able to ensure or, or have a guaranteed path to whatever future that we want for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, so many things come up in pregnancy where, you know, I, I have to tell someone, listen, this is completely out of our control. It's out of my control. It's out of your control. And and that's just the way it is, at least, you know, currently. And maybe it'll be that way forever. I have no idea. And that's sort of like nihilism that is just out of our control. For some people, it's horrifying. They're like, what do you mean? Like, I have no control over this. Like, I, I can't believe that. It's not possible. And other people find it very comforting. They're like, oh, finally. Like, okay. <laughs> like, I can, I can move about my, you know, my day and not worry that I'm causing harm all the time. And people really respond to that reality differently uh, when, when they feel or learn that something's out of their control, whether it upsets them or pleases them. Uh, it's really a fascinating um, sort of study of who's which. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably envious of the people who are, are relieved when they find something out in their control. <laughs> just, yeah, just walk about the earth blissfully. It's just a, it's an amazing trait. So, yeah. wow. Well, so we digress. But you, so you are pregnant and tell me how it went, the first pregnancy, just sort of like logistically, physically, other than all the feelings you're having, how did it actually go? So I, I'm really fortunate where the, the pregnancy was relatively uneventful. I, you know, had several, you know, freakouts where something was changing and like, you know, I mentioned and, and it felt different or I felt like certain things were exacerbated and they weren't, you know, I, I felt renewed itchiness in, in my feet. And that can be a sign of, you know, progression of PSC. And that was something that was alarming. But, you know, then I was, I spoke to my sisters and, you know, they explained that, no, they, their feet were swollen and had, you know, been itchy just because their feet were swollen as a pregnant person and don't worry about it. And, and it was this really interesting, you know, that emotional balancing act of recognizing changes in my body and understanding that they may not be flags that something was bad, but, you know, normal, normal morning sickness at the beginning. And, and that was really my only main, you know, material complaint through the pregnancy. Um, something that I was a little bit concerned about, it was a smaller baby. I was on steroids um, to, to control myasthenia. And that was something that, you know, had been flagged for me that sometimes steroids, be, which is kind of ironic because people on steroids are at risk of, of getting bigger, but, but fetuses are at risk of being smaller. Um, and I'm sure you'd be able to explain the science behind that. I, I can't, but that was something that, you know, we monitored carefully was just how, how quickly the baby was growing, if the baby was gaining weight. And, you know, we, my husband and I joked about it a little bit that, oh, we're going to have a small baby. It'll make, you know, delivery easy. But I did worry. And every exam that we had, I just held my breath to make sure that the baby was 
moving enough, breathing enough, because I wanted to make sure that all signs indicated that the baby was going to be healthy. And unlike PSE, which there's no risk of anything crossing the placenta, myasthenia, there is risk of autoimmune crossing the placenta and um, the baby being born with transient myasthenia. Um, and that was something that that scared me a lot. Right. And, and my recollection is ultimately it played out well and you got to, I think, with 38 weeks or something and we induced you because like the fluid is a little low. I mean, nothing too remarkable, but you know, you got to pretty much full term like, all right, little this, little that it's, it's time. Tell me about the delivery. I don't think anyone can prepare you for delivery. And this, this is not a unique you know, experience for me. I had no idea what to expect, but I also delivered during a really interesting time. It was the start of COVID. Yeah. And the start of COVID in New York, which was like the headquarter of COVID in the United States. So everything was really weird leading up to to the uh, labor and delivery. And and that just became like a running joke where like I was already the first for so many reasons. And I was going to also be among the first to deliver during COVID. Fortunately, not the first, but New York was just unsetting its policy of restricting labor delivery to the mothers. So like we got really close to, I think I joked with you that I wanted to like flee the state um, because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that my husband could be there. Fortunately, we didn't have to go anywhere. And I don't think anyone would want to deliver a high risk mother from COVID country. Um, so uh, it was probably a good thing we didn't go anywhere. But it was... I think 20, 29 hours of, of being in the hospital and like four and change hours of pushing. So it was not, it was not a, a quick delivery by any means, but also relatively uneventful. And I'm so grateful for the, the medical team that protected me throughout my pregnancy and gave me really good counsel throughout my pregnancy. So that way I was okay throughout the labor and delivery process. Um, I was able to go through a natural, you know, delivery, epidural assisted, but light on the epidural because of myasthenia and and push for four hours in spite of being the myasthenic. And I did okay. And um, the baby was born healthy. And we, we all got to, to cry quite a bit. Yeah. Tell me about that moment. I know mean, it's 29 hours in. So there's probably smoke coming out of your ears when the baby's born. But tell me about the moment that you delivered and how that went. This is probably the culmination of lots of lots of trauma, lots of exhaustion. But I honestly was on the table mo- like half asleep in between each push. I, I think I was like conking out for like 10 seconds at a time, just that part, you know, normal exhaustion, I assume part myasthenia. So I was just happy to like be done. We knew that going to the NICU was going to be the next step for him. Um, but we were told that we'd be able to spend some time with him, assuming that he was healthy um, and that everything that everything kind of on the APGAR scores and initial uh, assessments were fine. We'd get some time with him and then they would take him to the NICU. But what wound up happening, and I'm not sure if it's because of the number of hours of, of labor, because of COVID, because of his lower than expected birth weight, um, pretty much gave birth and they immediately rushed out of the room with our son. And I just had this moment where I, all of my fears kind of came to the fore and I just lost it. And I, I think I I said, you know, I actually said, oh, my gosh, what did I do to our son? Is he OK? What did I do to him? Um, I, I thought that something in either the way I delivered or something with my medical history had hurt him. And um, <laughs> that was that was probably just thinking about moments in, in the pregnancy that 
were very not I wouldn't even say traumatic, just very scary. That was probably the scariest moment because he was out of my body. I was ready to to really just embrace being with him in a in a totally different way. And um he was he was out of the room and, and I was on the table just you know, trying to get answers uh to figure out if he was okay and, and uh what had happened. When did you ultimately realize for yourself that this gets good all is well you know i've got a baby who's doing great the, the good news is that the that the ob uh with me kept reassuring me everything's gonna be fine he's fine he's fine we'll we'll call the the NICU and figure out you know what's going on uh but he's he's fine but i didn't as much as i was hearing that which was reassuring i didn't feel that until we actually heard from the NICU that he was okay and that we were i was going to have the ability to to uh, to see him, but this was also COVID. So it was really complicated because they would only allow either my husband or me to see him and we couldn't go at the same time. So that it was, you know, it's just a, a very strange, a very strange, uh, labor and delivery experience overall. It was so weird that whole COVID, it was just, it was just such a crazy time. Now you obviously would have, and were considered high risk, so to speak for the COVID right? Because you were yeah. pregnant and you had autoimmune conditions and you're on steroids. And how much of that worried you? I mean, we had people who were, you know, not so afraid of COVID, very afraid of COVID, you know, some more warranted than others, obviously, but you certainly had quite a lot of reason to be afraid specifically of the virus. Was that something that really affected you day to day during the end of pregnancy? Or were you just sort of like, you know, I've, I've already been like, I've been on the cliff for a long time now and just add it to the pile. No, we were pretty, we were pretty strict about COVID. Well, this was also really at the start. I mean, we're talking about the first like four or five weeks of COVID shutting everything down in the, in the, at least New York, but slowly spreading across the U.S. So people in general were pretty paranoid and strict and scared. And I just had, we just weren't going anywhere, but no one was going anywhere at the time. Um, so it didn't really change anything for me there. I was worried about policies and how that would affect us becoming parents. Again, whether my husband was going to be able to be in labor and delivery, if I was going to be able to see our son in the NICU, um, they needed to keep him under observation for several days. And um, my doctor said that I was too high risk to go to the NICU because of the, they, I mean, they weren't, not everyone going to the NICU was being tested. And so there was, and there were high COVID rates in the hospital. So I was able to see our son once um, his first week of life uh, in the NICU uh, before being discharged. And that's another funny story. I was discharged like 13 hours postpartum um, because because there was too much COVID at the hospital. So I was safer at home. Uh, you know, that that to me was probably the hardest was just dealing with COVID policies where yeah. my husband had to had to be the one in the NICU and, and not me. Um, we couldn't both be there. I think it was more interesting that the COVID challenge was actually more acute for us post like postpartum where we were really strict about who we could have around us because of my of me still being high risk with COVID and then not wanting to to put me at risk bringing COVID into the house and also having this newborn who we wanted to protect yeah. and you know making sure that that he was safe as well. Um, so we were pretty, we were pretty strict about our own 
or a risk profile was, was pretty uh, extreme um, at the beginning. Now, you, you obviously did this again because we mentioned that you had another kid. And I'm curious, the second time around, how did it differ from the first time around in terms of whether it's the fears, whether the guilt, whether the you know physical, emotional, uh, was it similar to the first pregnancy or was it potentially a little bit easier because you know you've already done this? It was easier thinking about how I would share during pregnancy because I had done so well the first time. So I didn't give that as much thought, especially because with autoimmune, I think I spoke about last time how there's kind of a third, a third, a third in terms of how women fare during pregnancy. But however you do on your on your initial pregnancy increases the probability of you experiencing that again. And I was stable and, and fully controlled during my first pregnancy. So not only was did I have a two-thirds chance at that during the first pregnancy to experience that, but having experienced that the first pregnancy, I had higher probability of uh, being stable second pregnancy. Uh, and I was. And so, you know, I, I just understanding the probabilities helped me and my husband make the decision that we wanted to try again and we didn't think it was going to be that risky. I think we assumed that by the time we had our second, COVID would be over. And that <laughs> that did not happen. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so, you know, there were certain things there that we didn't take into account and what that would mean in terms of, you know, changes to our risk profile over and over again and what that meant in terms of socializations and, you know, when to when to get as vaccines rolled out, if to vaccinate, when to vaccinate and me being high risk and balancing all of that. So that there were some unforeseen challenges um, or things that we had to navigate. I guess in terms of things that didn't play out the way that we anticipated, it's, one of them was just not understanding how much harder it is to be pregnant when you're already a mom. Yeah. Because you don't have any downtime. Yeah. And that's that's where I felt the biggest change, um, where I was definitely more fatigued. And, and I don't mean that in like a, you know, I'm pregnant, therefore I'm tired, but in a myasthenic kind of way where I notice sluggishness in parts of my body that I hadn't previously. and. In way, and I knew it was just because I was pushing myself so much harder than I had the first time and not because of the pregnancy, but just because of my lifestyle being a mom. I mean, I remember towards the end, there were a couple of scares uh, with the pregnancy that were not yeah. present the first time around uh, and legitimate ones because ones that were related to potentially related to myasthenia. Fortunately, they weren't. But talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the the first scare was one that I, I have learned is is not something I should have been worried about. But my first pregnancy, we hadn't tracked my liver enzymes the third trimester because those can do funny things your third trimester. But the second pregnancy, they were tracked, um, which is now in retrospect helpful because now I, I understand kind of what those baselines would look like in third trimester. But my alkaline phosphatase levels were above normal ranges. And that was the first time that they'd been above normal ranges since starting oral vancomycin several years ago. And so that to me just kind of was a a trigger or like, oh God, like how much should I be worried about this? How much of this is because of pregnancy? And it was one of those things that in spite of MFMs and hepatologists telling me it's okay, I still worried because there was there's no way to validate that it's not from PSC until after you're pregnant, until you're postpartum, because until then, 
whether it's from the you know placenta and uterus or from your body there's no way to determine the, the, that uh, in a blood test so i just had to kind of trust that they knew what they were talking about in terms of the the other uh scares uh so in the biophysical exams that that were being performed our second child was not very cooperative and it's interesting because i felt him i thought that he was a much more active baby um, i felt him move a lot more <laughs> and um i was always surprised that i would go to the go to the doctor's office go for the scan and and this became like a repeated problem where every time i would go he just something wasn't he wasn't checking the box on something. He wasn't practicing breathing or he wasn't moving, wasn't moving enough. I think starting at like 30 weeks or so, he just wasn't passing the biophysical exams. And so initially the decision was made, okay, so you'll have, you had the first, let's keep you for an hour and we'll do it again. Um, there were, I was doing stress tests sometimes in between. And then it was like, okay, should I be coming in more than once a week because this is becoming a repeated problem? And, you know, for for me, the fear was that, you know, this is indicative of him being fatigued, like a myasthenic. And he's just as active as he is sometimes, sometimes he's just potentially oddly tired um, because he's not passing these biophysicals. And, and, you know, I'd get so, and it would just be so, frustrating because in one biophysical, you know, the first one I would take, he'd fail. And then an hour and a half later, after the stress test, after eating some more, I'd have a second biophysical and he would pass and just not knowing what to do with that information and, and how, how worried to be. Right. Ultimately, it worked out, right? So you, yes. de you delivered and how did this birth go compared to the first one? It was night and day difference in all the positive ways. It was going in, like everyone understands what COVID is. So it was a much less uh, scary experience in that regard. It was also, I was there for, I think the labor and delivery was about 14 hours. And even the, the OB mentioned to me, this is going to be so much faster than your first. You'll see, it'll, it'll be half hour max. And when I started pushing, she's like, it's going to be two pushes. And I laughed because last time it was four and a half hours. And three pushes later, the baby was out. So it, she was off by one. It was three pushes in total. And it was... Two more. Two more it, pushes, I'm sure is what she said. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably what she said. <laughs> there we go. But it was completely uneventful. Um, I felt strong throughout. And the baby was still going to have to go to the NICU, but we got to spend some time with, with another boy, so with him, um, before he went off to the NICU. It was a much more celebratory experience. Look back and where you are now and where you were before this started. And obviously, it's totally different, right? Before it starts, you're thinking about getting pregnant. Can I get pregnant? Is it safe? And, you know, you can't, you can and all this. And now you're, you know, running after two kids and not thinking about that. But how are you changed as a person because of this? You know, whether it's something like your, you know, an outlook on life or just, you know, priorities in a certain sense. Is there anything about this whole, you know, crazy, amazing story of yours that has changed you as a person? Firstly, I'm just so incredibly grateful. I, I'm grateful to, you know, my my family for their support and for, you know, being willing to take this huge gamble with me. I'm grateful to the medical team who 
made all of this possible. I mean, I wouldn't have made any decisions to try to have a kid um, without all of their sign off. And they, they all you know, continued to be available to me throughout the process. And, and whether it was like from an emotional support standpoint or, or truly medical standpoint, they, they were in, in incredibly valuable and, and impactful. I believe in God. And so whether someone believes in God or Providence or, or whatever, I, I am so grateful that, you know, that I was blessed by, by, by God to have this experience of becoming a mom and for that to be something that, that, that was achieved without catastrophe and that we're all healthy. Um, But in terms of major changes, I'd say the same way that I went into pregnancy and experienced pregnancy with this kind of like looming guilt, like what if I had done something wrong or selfish or, or like created bad outcomes? The fact that I, I've been blessed with such positive outcomes is a reminder that, yes, we are not in control and bad things can happen. And I've experienced my fair share of really bad news. <laughs> but other side of the same coin is amazing and beautiful things can also happen and unexpected things can also happen and it's so easy to get trapped by all of the the scary things but there's also excuse me there's also really an incredible number of of blessings and positive outcomes that can be achieved um, or experienced and and those shouldn't be overlooked and and i think it's easy to to be a little bit paralyzed by fear but it, for me, it's also to remember to be inspired by the opportunity to see beautiful things happen. Wow. Amazing. That's what a great way to finish this story in this podcast. Aviva, thank you so much for sharing your story. Your story's um, really amazing, and uh, I appreciate it very much, and I'm sure our listeners do as well. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan. Paid sponsors of the podcast are not involved in the creation of the podcast or any of the content. Support for our sponsors should not be interpreted as medical advice from the podcast, the host, or the guests.